Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Tuesday, November 28th, 2017, and this is our second daily show. Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> it's so exciting. Oh, I actually have applause here. I should play the applause, right? Here we go. Okay, there we go. <laughs> you got to have applause when something good happens, right? Did you hear my applause? I hear your applause, and you, pl- you applaud there very you fervently. I love that. So, yeah, this is exciting because uh, I don't remember if we mentioned it on the show yesterday, Wendy, but this is now going to be picked up as part of the daily schedule at PRN. Now, of course, we've had the weekly show, but PRN is going to pick us up daily at 9 a.m. Eastern time. So if you miss part of the live broadcast here at 4 p.m. Eastern, you can pick it up the next morning and get another dose of it. Hooray! That is awesome. It is awesome. Things are just coming together. On top of that, Wendy, you're not going to believe this, but there's going to be a second edition of LOA Today in the morning being recorded earlier in the morning, Eastern Time, from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We're going to do that one live, and we've got co-hosts who are going to be doing that, too. This is like growing out of control. It's like it, it's like weeds. The weeds just keep going. <laughs> you are on fire, Mr. Walsh. We I'll are. tell you that. On we, fire. Well, Law of Attraction me. is like building momentum yes. because you've been like – Focusing on what you want, and boom, it's happening. Well, it's not just me, too. It's you, too. I mean, you came on board, and look at all the energy you brought on. And, and wait till you meet. You're going to love Cindy. Cindy is going to be joining me next Tuesday. She, she's not 100% that she wants to do it a couple times a week, but she's leaning that way. And I'll, I swear to God, Wendy, you're going to think that you're talking to your doppelganger. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's really something. <laughs> you guys are so much on the same wavelength. It isn't funny. And then Mondays and Fridays, Tom Wells, also a life coach, is going to be joining us. He has a really different take, but a very interesting take on the law of attraction. And then my happiest news, I think I mentioned yesterday, Joel Elston, my former co-host who had to leave the show last April, is coming back to do Thursday morning. So we're going to have two full shows, Monday through Friday, every single day. I mean, I'm just beside myself with joy. I'm just jumping up and down. <laughs> I am hearing Barbara Streisand's rendition of Everything is Coming Up Roses That's right, in yes. my head right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It really is. It's just so much fun. And, oh, by the way, um, one of the reasons, of course, that we're doing this is because we want to be able to take live calls, too, just in case any of our listeners want to join in on the fun. If you want to do that and you are listening while we're broadcasting this on Tuesday afternoon between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time, feel free to call the phone number for you to call, 860-264-5432. That's 860-264-5432. And we'd love to have you come on to just share whatever is going on. If you have questions that you want to raise, if you're having trouble with something, we'll we'll be glad to give you our take on it. Whatever you want to talk about, we'd be glad to have you. So, you know, there's the invitation to just expand it even more. Um, And, in fact, we found out, you found out, Wendy, that we actually had listeners on our first show, which we kind of didn't expect because, you know, it was the first time we'd done the daily show and there hadn't been a whole lot of of advanced publicity. So it was great to have some live listeners in addition to to the people who listened to the recorded podcast afterward. Absolutely. It was so exciting. I mean, I know of at least two of my friends that were listening and one of them I had the opportunity to like have them discuss it with me and what they thought was really cool and I'm like oh my god we have listeners this is awesome 
<laughs> that is awesome. It, it is great, too, when you get the feedback like that. For the longest time, Absolutely. while I was doing this podcast in the early days, I didn't get any feedback. And then over time, it started to come, and, and that really, really helps. It, it helps you to know what you're doing right and what you need to work on and so forth. But to get feedback mm-hmm. that quick, I mean, you got it on your first full day. That's great. <laughs> I know. It was so fabulous. I mean, I just kind of like couldn't believe we really had listeners. I mean, you and I were having fun talking, but to know that other people were listening and enjoying it and feeling uplifted by it, it's like that's what we're doing it for. And that's what the goal is. This is their daily – it's your dose of daily dose of happy. I, I blew the tagline, but it's okay. It's still a good tagline. This is your daily dose of happy. And that's the way it is for, for me. I know it has been for the last five years that I've been doing this, and it is for you too. So, yeah, I love the fact that we've got other people coming along for the ride, and I just hope it keeps growing over time because, boy, is there anything we need more in our society today than a daily dose of happy? I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything better. That, I mean, that to me, is the superlative. Yeah, because there's so much negativity out there. We've got to have something to counterbalance it, and, hey, why not us? <laughs> <laughs> that's right why not us why not, why us? not our listeners why, why not? not our listeners that's right which actually you know we, we talked before the show about what topic we should do today and we, we came up with the idea you actually named it of uh your emotional set point which is a good topic and it really fits what we're talking about when we talk about a daily dose of happy because your emotional set point is directly influenced by how you start the day, how you what what you're thinking about, what you're focusing on as you start the day, and what you focus on through the day, even when you're just doing the mundane stuff that we all end up doing throughout the day. So that that emotional set point is really key. So, do you want to um, kind of give a definition of what you think the like what the emotional set point is to you, and then I'll kind of share my thoughts on it. Uh, okay, I'll take a shot at it. Um, I know what that that Abraham might have a dif- different uh, uh, take on it. For those who don't know, Abraham Hicks uh, is one of the major voices in the LOA circle, so to speak. Um, I know that my set point is, is really more about how I'm feeling at any given time than anything else. So if I'm feeling good, then I have a good emotional set point. If I'm feeling down, then I have a down emotional set point. Um, I, I'm kind of... Um, logical about the way I do these things. So I think of it in terms of a scale. So I have like a positive to negative scale, like positive 10 to negative 10 with zero being kind of neutral. So I'm, I'm always aiming for like, you know, how close to the higher end of, of the plus 10 scale can I get to and how far away can I get from the minus 10 end of the scale? And and that's the way I measure my, my emotional set point. But I'm not sure that really fits what Abraham had in mind. It, it just fits what I, what works for me, you know? Mm-hmm. What, what works for you? I mean, how do you define it? Well, um, I believe the way Abraham talks about it, which is kind of my understanding for also, is like, for instance, if you have some really negative experience occur, how quickly you bounce out of it um, and where you land, the where you land is kind of your emotional set point. So it's the landing so point. Okay. It's kind of like, you know, if you push something under the water and then you let go and it bobs up to the top. Mm-hmm. Well, we would we could say the emotional set point for that thing is skimming along the top of the water because that's where it goes naturally when there's no pressure against it. And so 
um, like I'll give you an example. When I years ago, when I was in traditional therapy, um, I remember talking to my therapist about feeling frustrated and disappointed, and like over and over and over in my sessions, those two emotional words kept showing up. And one day she said to me, "Well, Wendy, how often do you think you experience frustration or disappointment?" And I went, mm, "About 17 times a day." And we both kind of laughed. She said, where did you come up with 17? I said, I don't know, but that just seems to be the right number. Okay. And I think I really did have that many different experiences in my day where frustration or disappointment was kind of like on the menu. (laughs) So it kind of became obvious that I didn't like that. That's why I was in therapy. I I don't blame you. Yeah, and I think she talked about it like that. my emotional set point was at frustration and disappointment. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, how do I get off of that? Because I want to go to a place that feels better. Well, you know, that was many decades ago, and now I am where I am. And I really have to say that my emotional set point is such that I hardly ever experience frustration and disappointment. If I do, it's maybe once or twice a week. And if I do, I don't stay there for very long, maybe 15 minutes to an hour, mm, yeah. because now it's so uncomfortable to be there that I can't wait to go to something that feels better, and then when I buoy up to my natural surface, I'm back in contentment and happiness and joy or hope, um, but that to me has become my new emotional set point, where yeah. I rarely go below hope anymore. Now, did you have um, to feel- work to that? I mean, is that something that you just kind of felt into and, or I should say rose to, <laughs> uh, that, that it just kind of came naturally or did you have to work at it? I mean, how, how did you end up getting there from that point where you were at many years ago where it was all about depression every day? Well, have you heard Abraham talk about the emotional guidance scale? Oh, yes. Although we okay, should probably so- define it just for listeners who may not know it. Yeah. So the emotional guidance scale, if you think about like the most um, uncomfortable emotions at the bottom, which would be like grief and um, depression. And then if you kind of climb up, actually, believe it or not, what feels a little bit better than depression and grief is revenge. Yeah, I always wondered about that one. Up, <laughs> you, well, I'm sorry, what would you say? I always wondered about that one. <laughs> revenge being better well, than depression. <laughs> I mean, I know that's what they say. It just seemed a little bit weird to me, that's all. Well, the way I think of it is where you start to gain your personal power. I guess. When you're depressed yeah. and in grief, you're just so apathetic, you just can barely move. True. You have no energy to do anything. Right. But if you can feel a sense of revenge, even though most of us would think revenge, that's better, you actually feel a little bit more power. Because, I mean, think about it like from the movies when someone's in a state of revenge. They're not, they're not in a state of apathy anymore. That's true. They're in a state you know, where they, they need to... Sudden, yeah, they, they have motivation. Maybe they for do. something not pleasant, but they have a little motivation. They, they need to tether themselves to something, but yes. <laughs> well, and so if you move up from revenge, you know, anger actually feels better than revenge. Sure, and because then you're, disappointment getting, you're getting it out. feels better mm-hmm. than anger. And hope feels better than disappointment. And love and joy and appreciation feels better than hope. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of did an abbreviated version of their scale. They actually have 22 emotions on it, but I kind of just, I think I did about seven or eight right now. Just to give an idea of 
what the, the ladder, if you will, of the emotional guidance scale actually looks like. Well, so if I was at frustration and disappointment most of the time, first of all, I didn't decide, oh, I think I'm going to change my emotional set point. What was required was I started finding better feeling thoughts and different ways to perceive the circumstances where I felt I was in disappointment or frustration. And I found ways to kind of shift it where I started seeing things from other people's perspective or I started to see it like, huh, well, the disappointment is because, like, for example, my mother, when I was growing up, she tended to get really great ideas like, oh, we're going to do such and such as a family. And we'd all get on board and be really, really excited. And we're ready to pull the trigger because we want to do it. We want to go on this fabulous camping trip. (laughs) And then as we're planning it, Somehow, well, I'm not quite sure we can afford it in June. Mm, Maybe it'll need to get pushed out to July or August. And we're like, okay, okay. So August comes around, and we're ready to go on this great camping trip. And it's like, you know, your dad and I have talked about it, and we really just don't have the money for that. Mm. And so that to me was just so disappointing because I got my hopes up so high, and I was so excited about this fun trip, and I'd already right. figured out the meals and where we were going to get the, the <laughs> camping stoves and the tents and the whole thing. And now, poof, nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, because that was my personal childhood experience, and that's kind of how my mom did things a lot, where there was a lot of buildup and then disappointment, it's no wonder that di- disappointment became a really common hot point for me. Yeah. So that, like we were talking yesterday, I was recreating disappointment all over the place. Mm-hmm. I could create it, like I call up a store and I say, hey, do you have this blue blouse that I saw at this other store but in this size? And they'll say, yep, we have it. <laughs> then I'd get out there and I'd go to the store and they'd say, oh, well, it was in our computer that we had it, but we really don't. <laughs> oh, no. So now I'm disappointed again. <laughs> and I could recreate that 17 times a day. I was that good of a creator. <laughs> well, so that's where the 17 comes from. All right, now I got it. That's where the 17 comes from. <laughs> well, over time, I started to look at this and go, you know what? The person who answered the phone when I asked, do you have this blue boss in my size? They weren't doing it to me on purpose. But so I started to feel like – because. Really, when I was disappointed, I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Why, why can't they get their act together? And why is the computer always different than what's happening? And I would retell that story, and it was getting blah, 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 ugly, ugly, ugly. And I started telling different stories. And I'm like, you know, they're not out to get me. This just happens. And then that felt a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And over time, I was doing that everywhere I could. I was reframing the meaning that I was giving to to quote these disappointing and frustrating situations until those situations might happen again, but now I just felt a little perturbed. And, and isn't or, it interesting? Well, isn't it interesting in the early stages when you're first starting to do that, how often it comes at you? Oh, constantly. <laughs> I mean, it's know, like, like, it seems every five minutes, you know? <laughs> I, might be, I might be in a place of I'm feeling a little perturbed, but I'm like, but I am at the small. What else could I do while I'm here? Mm. And then I'd find something that was wonderful, and I'd go, hmm, well, if this negative thing hadn't have brought me here, I never would have found this positive thing. Yes. And then I started to see where positive things were everywhere if I looked for them. 
And now, this didn't happen overnight, but over time, I just kept shifting my thoughts into something that felt better. So where I am today, almost any negative, horrible, disastrous thing can happen. And and I know this is going to sound really Pollyanna, but this is where I am that's today. Right. You're, you're our native now, Pollyanna. You are the Pollyanna of the show, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of going down with my first reaction going, oh, crap, why did this happen? I'll go, oh, wow, I just created something contrasting in my life. I can't wait to see what good thing is going to come out of this. Right, yes. That contrast. And I know not many people don't go there, but, you know, hey, it's a good place to be. <laughs> oh, it is a good place to be. We um, Joel used to make it a point to talk about how there's no such thing as bad things that happen because he's had some really bad things that happened to him, and he actually counts them as the best things that ever happened in his life. Which sounds really, really strange to say, but that they literally were the springboards to some amazing things that have happened in his lifetime. Um, I mean, if, if you want to uh, know more about them, go back and play some of the, the past shows that he was involved in from uh, like late 2015 through early 2017. Any of the shows in there, you'll probably pick something up along that line. But that was a big theme that he played a lot. And well, and so that's kind of how I explain an emotional set point which is where, what emotional state are you in most of the time? You know, there's also another aspect of this that's really interesting, and, and your question makes me think of it. One of the things that confused me early on when I ex was exposed for the first time to this, to this idea that Abraham puts out about the emotional set point is what is neutral? Because Abraham ultimately makes the point that neutral is simply a light form of negative. And I always thought of neutral as just, you know, neutral, <laughs> like not happy, not sad, not positive, not negative, just in the middle. But it turns out there is actually no neutral. And huh. it, it took me a little while to appreciate that, but I probably should have appreciated it sooner. And I say that because I'm male. And like almost every other male that has grown up in our culture and indeed most of Western culture and probably most of the cultures around the world, Males are taught from a very early age to suppress feelings. Fortunately, that's happening a lot less with the current generations, but it still does happen. And it certainly happens with the, you know, like the baby boomers and so forth, you know, the generations I came out of. Um, and as a result of that, when you bury your emotions, you think of your emotions as being neutral. When in fact, what you've actually buried is a whole bunch of negative crap. <laughs> but because you've disconnected from them, you don't really notice that they're there. I mean, you notice them on a subconscious level. Your belly is probably churning up like crazy. But consciously, you don't really notice them. They aren't really there. So, well, I'm just feeling neutral. Well, actually, neutral is negative. <laughs> from that perspective, I would definitely agree. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking yesterday about how we use words in a slightly different fashion. And the way I think of neutral is where there's no negative charge on it, where I don't feel upset, angry, whatever. It's kind of like, you know, the phrase, what is, is. So like neutralizing the negativity okay. in a sense. And, and it's like, whatever is, I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to change it. I don't mm -hmm. need to resist it. I don't need to fight it. To me, that's neutral for me. Oh, okay. You know. But if you're talking the, the neutral that you just described, I guess I would probably give that a different word, you know, like suppressed energy or denial <laughs> of what is. 
<laughs> you know, but I'm not going to fight with Abraham. The truth is, you know, Abraham speaks through Esther, and Esther uses the vocabulary and the meanings that she puts to words. Right. I mean, what else could you she know, possibly so. do anyway? I mean, she's got to interpret it the way she understands it. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, in the early days when listening to Abraham, I'm like, I'm, I'm in disagreement with what they're saying. But then I started to listen to the evade, and I had all logistically, or not logistically, legitimately hung up on the specific words. Mm-hmm. You know, and I realized we all use words so differently. Yes. Yeah, there's nothing like words to trip you up. It's true. I mean, it's a funny thing to say, but it's true. Words can trip you up in so many different ways because words can have different emotional imparts. They, they can have different emotional meanings to them. And depending on what the emotional meaning is, the word can mean almost something completely different from what it was meant in the first place. You know, if, if you look at two different people who have two different emotional attachments to a word and they both use the same word, it can be very confusing if you don't know the context. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I love deep, meaningful conversation. Okay. And so when I'm getting to know somebody, I'm not afraid to stop and ask somebody, well, when you use this word, what exactly do you mean by it? That's a good policy. (laughs) Well, sometimes I get some raised eyebrows because they're like, really? And I'm like, no, really, I I want to understand how you use it because I have a feeling we're using the words differently. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when the information comes out, they go, oh, wow, you have a very different meaning. And I'm like, right. see, this is why I asked. <laughs> and, of course, in English, it's even more confusing because we have multi-valued words. So the words themselves can mean different things. I mean, you have two, two, and two. You know, they have entirely different meanings. <laughs> so now you're adding in the emotional impact of what words can have. It just makes it even more confusing. I, I pity someone who has to learn English as a second language. I mean, it's probably the most difficult of all the Western languages to learn as a second language, I would think. And yet, it's the world's language, so <laughs> go figure. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, so coming back to, you know, our topic of emotional set points, have you had any experiences in your life where you could say that you knew you were shifting your set point or you saw how that actually played out? Oh, yeah. I mean, from the moment that I explored what the law of attraction was about and what this whole, um, what they call new thought thing is all about, um, I realized pretty early that I needed to shift my emotional set point. And it seemed impossible at the time. I really didn't think there was any way to do it. I couldn't imagine a way to do it. I knew I had to do it. I knew that, you know, Abraham, for instance, says that you can do it. I knew that the secret said that you can do it. I knew that other gurus said that you can do it, but I didn't have a clue. (laughs) I just didn't have any idea how to do it. And so I just started doing little things. Um, I, my wife gave me some good ideas on things to do with my daily walk. I like to go take a walk every day when the weather is nice enough to do it. And just, you know, exploring and, and enjoying nature while I'm out there is just one thing to do that kind of starts me in the process of moving in that direction. But it took a long time before I noticed a difference. I would say that now, looking back over the last few years, I can see a huge difference. I have had a large shift over that period of time. And my wife will agree with you. She'll be the first one to say it's true <laughs> because I used to be really in a much more negative place and I'm, I'm in a much more positive place now. I mean, I actually smile. That's something I didn't do many years ago. <laughs> I actually really? smile regularly now. Yeah. Oh, Wendy, you have no idea how depressed I was. I, I, I can say it as depressed now. I didn't think of it as being depressed then. I just thought of it as you know, the world's against me, <laughs> but, oh. but yeah, I was in a pretty bad spot for 
for quite a long time. And I'm so glad that I've climbed out of it. So have I seen my emotional set point shift over time? Yes, in a big way. If if I were to put it on my scale, I gave you the scale before where minus is the, the negatives and plus is, is the positive emotions. So I was somewhere around probably minus five, minus six, minus seven when I first started. And I'm currently somewhere around plus four, plus five. Well, actually, the last few days, I'm probably closer to plus 10. But my, my general set point somewhere around plus four to plus five. So it's been a major shift. Well, you know, one of the points you brought up, which is so incredibly valuable, is that you took little steps. Yes. And then over time, you, both you and your wife recognize a huge shift. And she recognized it before I did. Hmm. That's really that. That's something. It may be a male thing because of the you know the way society teaches us to repress our emotions, but it took me a long time to notice it. She noticed it probably a year before I did. Well, I think people who are objective, meaning people who aren't us, um, <laughs> have the ability to to view you differently because you're in your body and your brain and your you're in your stuff every day. Right. And we don't always individually really recognize the changes that we make. That's and true. other people outside of us have a very different viewpoint than yep. they can. Because I mean, I have friends who will say, "Wow." Three years ago when I first met you, you are now so different than then. Really? Wow. And sometimes I'm like, is there a criticism in there or a compliment? I don't really know. <laughs> it's all how you decide you know? to take it. Yeah, and sometimes they'll say, well, in what way do you see that there's a big change? And sometimes they can't even articulate it, mm. but they'll just say, you're just so different. And, and, and they'll go, and it's a good thing. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll leave it at that. But, you know, it reminds me uh, – Gosh, there was a time probably in my 30s when I was doing every get-rich-quick scheme that I could find or that somebody <laughs> could bring to me. <laughs> um, seven network marketing companies under the belt. Does that give you a clue as Woo! to what my, my thought process oh, was? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. I, I, people are like, oh, Wendy, you're such a people person, and you're so good at teaching and articulating, and, you know, you'd be really a good person to, like, share this with other people. And they go, and it's not really sales. Well, that's not true. <laughs> All network marketing is sales. But, you know, the reason why I went through seven and I didn't last with any of them is because I love to learn. So learning about their product line was exciting. Mm -hmm. I love to present, and I'd share it with friends, but I didn't make any money at it. Because I didn't sell. <laughs> and really, for me, once I learned it, I'm like, okay, now I'm bored. And I wasn't excited about the sale part. I was excited about the learning part. But anyway, mm -hmm. that's me and my personality. But um, what was the reason I was bringing this up? Because it did have to do with the emotional set point. Um, oh, I know. So back then, I remember talking with a friend of mine. And he was also a follow-every-get-rich-quick-scheme person like I was. Wow. And he said to me one day, he goes, you know what, Wendy, I have figured out that if I would have stuck with this one particular, whatever it was, five years ago, if I would have stuck with it, I am almost certain that today I would be making really good money. But I jumped ship because the money didn't come fast enough. Mm. And I went, well, I've certainly done that a million times over. Mm -hmm. But what stuck with me with that concept wasn't connected to the get-rich-quick scheme idea. Mm -hmm. It was really about how everything in our life, when we make changes, yes. if we just take small baby steps, 
over time, those baby steps really amount to something big. It's the hardest thing to trust that when you're not seeing the results, they're going to come. That's it. And that's why I think, for me, I would jump ship because the big wealth didn't happen fast enough for me. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I, I've even worked with you know clients where they feel kind of despondent because they don't see the personal changes happening fast. They don't, in other words, if I have a female client, her husband's not changing quick enough for her satisfaction. <laughs> we know what Abraham has to you say know, about that. We could do a whole show on that one. <laughs> yeah, to which I say, I can't, I'm not here to change your husband, mm -hmm. but I am here because I can help you make internal changes in how you think about him, which in turn will cause a different part of him to match with you. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. they're like, but I'm not seeing it. And I'm like, you got to give it time. And so as a matter of fact, there was something in my life just oh, a couple months ago I was working on. And I kept feeling like I knew something was moving, like I could just intuitively sense that there was motion, but I couldn't see it at all. Mm -hmm. And so even though I could sense it intuitively, I would get, you know, a little bit uh, discouraged because I wasn't seeing it happen. And I'm thinking, what should I do? I need to do something to move this along in my life. And one day I was in meditation, and what came to me was, you're doing just fine. Mm. It was kind of mm. like, take. it was a feeling of take a chill pill. Mm -hmm. And don't try to force anything to happen. And so, you know, I'm like the eternal three-year-old, why, but why, but why? <laughs> and so I asked the question, well, but how do I know it's really in motion? How do I know? I, I want my certainty. And I got this image of, um, and Abraham lately has been talking about trains, and so I kind of got the train image, that if you're moving 70 miles an hour heading east, but you need now, for whatever reason, you're being called back and you need to head west, well, a train conductor can't just slam the brakes with a heavy load he'd fall off the tracks, things would go crazy. It would not be a good thing. And because there's so much momentum in the train moving at a fast rate, it takes time for the train to slow down. And once it slows and comes to a complete stop, then in a way that's safe, it can turn around and go the other direction. And what I was getting in my meditation was, you are in the process of slowing the momentum on that which you do not want. Mm -hmm. And so if you wait for the momentum to slow down, quit adding fuel to the what you don't want pile, let it slow down, it will come to its own natural endedness. And then easily you will turn and start moving in the direction of what you desire. I like that example that of the was, train. I, I think it's a, a terrific example because it, it illustrates very nicely the fact that if it doesn't happen quickly, there's a reason for it. And the reason actually yeah. makes a whole lot of sense. In fact, you, you actually you said it a little bit differently at the beginning. You said you have to give it a chance. And what I heard in my head was you have to give yourself a chance. You have to give yourself a chance to actually make the change over time because it doesn't necessarily happen quickly, especially if you've never made emotional set point changes before. You don't know how to do it. So, of course, it's nope. going to take a while. <laughs> I mean, come on, give yourself a chance. But when you give yourself a chance and you take those little steps and you let the train slow down and at its own pace, over time, you start to notice the set point has changed without you even paying attention to it. It just, oh, wait a minute, 
it's higher than it was before. That's what happens. You you, you notice it as an, oh, my God. <laughs> and after I received that, that metaphor of the train, I, I really felt a sense, I, I just felt the spirit really supported me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I get it. And I'm going to quit trying so hard to make the changes. Because when I do, that was me actually adding resistance or more fuel right. to what I didn't want. And so I just stopped doing everything. And were there days that I'm like, am I doing the right thing by not taking any action? Of course that question would appear. And then I would remind myself, hey, I was told I need to let the momentum slowly come to an end. It's kind of like, you know, if you have a campfire and you don't add more logs, eventually it just burns out. It does. And that's kind of the analogy, what I was seeing in my mind's eye about letting the train just slow down on its own. And I will say that even though, yes, sometimes I was like, but I love action. I love taking action. What can I do? And I'd resist the temptation to, like, do something, and I would distract, and I would do something else that had nothing to do with that subject. Which is doing, then, by the way. Distracting yes, yourself is but doing I wasn't, it. I just wasn't putting it in the area that I was being told, don't throw more action exactly, on this thing. yeah. And eventually I started to see positive momentum very gently and slowly moving in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is incredible. Because I'll tell you, it's on what I will call the biggest, baddest, worstest, I want it more than anything in the world, stories of my life. (laughs) And those are the places that there's the most resistance. Oh, yeah. And so slowing the roll, if you will, (laughs) on something (laughs) where I've been fueling it for 50 years, that one didn't come so easily because I had such momentum behind doing the things that were working against me. But isn't it such a relief, though, when it does happen, when you finally do notice that there has been a change? Because obviously you got to that point because you experienced some relief, and then you see the change and you experience more relief. It's like a self-perpetuating relief thing going on. But you you notice it, it's like, oh, good, I finally saw something. Boy, that took long enough. (laughs) And you know what's funny? It's like there's the joy and the excitement of, yay, I'm seeing something different, and I'm really excited for about a day. (laughs) If if it's a day, that's a good day. For me, it's about five minutes. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, that's something I had to come to terms with, that there is no emotional state that unless you keep adding more fuel to it, both positive or negative, remains. And we're not really meant as human beings to like be on a high forever because we would never expand and grow if we didn't get a little discontent because, hey, where's that high? I want that back again. And then it causes us to ask new questions and it causes new things to come into our world. And then we expand and we grow and we get on another high and then the cycle starts all over again. Well, well, here's another situation where words can be troublesome because for me, being on a high doesn't mean being on 10 all the time. If I'm in the five to six range, I'm still in the positive range. I'm still feeling good. I can still experience stuff that doesn't work right, and I can experience that that surge to 10 again. But I'm staying pretty high all day long. So I guess it depends on what you mean by a high. So I wonder if that's more in tune with that's your emotional set point. Yeah. Whatever that feeling is that you call five or six, 
that's your emotional set point that feels like you want to come back to that because that's what feels good for you. That's your homeostasis place. And it's a set point that I keep trying to raise. I mean, I had it down at negative five. I got up to positive five. Like, woohoo, let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Do I hear six? Give me six. (laughs) Go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I'm just making a a silly out of it. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I was talking with a coworker today, and um, I was doing my best to encourage her because whenever we would talk, she would use words of anxiety and, and um, worry and concern and stress. And I real, we've only been working together a short time, and I realized she uses those words a lot. Mm. And why I think this is relevant to the, our topic of an emotional set point is because the words that we use chronically are actually part of holding us to our natural, our, our emotional set point. Yes. And one of the things that was kind of fun, it was funny to me, I don't know if she thought it was funny, is, you know, it's kind of like I could tell the conversation was, the the feel of it was going downhill, like she was starting to feel really, really flustered and much more um, aggressive, not quite the right word, but just tense. Things were getting worse instead of better. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I was trying to, like, uplift her and encourage her. Why is it going the other way? Mm-hmm. And so I just thought I'd say that. And I said, my intention here was to make you feel better. I didn't want you to feel worse because I noticed you use these words that are so intense. And she goes, well, I'm just a really stressful person. That's just who I am. Well, she admitted it. She, she knew it anyway. That's something. Yes. I mean, she acknowledged it, but I thought, wow, she's made it her identity. Yes. And she says it a lot. Well, if she's using these words in an intense way, stress and worry and anxiety, well, I know where her emotional set point is. Oh, yeah. It's not love, joy, appreciation. No, not really. No. It's in the zone of stress. Oh, yeah. And I said this kind of uh, to lighten the mood. I said, I've got to tell you, I've spent my life learning how to de-stress, and I'm finally at a place that I don't do stress that often. So I said, when we're talking and you're all in stress, I'm trying to unstress you so that it feels better for me, and I was kind of hoping that my lack of stress would kind of roll over onto you, because honestly, I don't want the stress that you have to roll over on me. (laughs) That broke the tension, and we both laughed. And we hung up shortly thereafter, but I thought, I hope she heard what I said, because even though we were joking about it, I was really, I was serious. She probably did hear it on at least a subconscious level. Even if her conscious mind wouldn't allow it in, her subconscious heard it. I think think you can count on that in almost any circumstance like that. Whether or not she'll react well, well is a different thing, but I think she heard it. Well, and what I know is, because law of attraction is always matching, um, for much of the time, she's not a match to me. Mm. And so my knowing is this. If she continues to not be a match to me, or if I continue to not be a match for her, one of us is going somewhere. That's the beauty of the whole thing. Because one of the things that the law of attraction reminds us of is, we're free. We can choose any time to shift our behavior in order to come closer to matching 
the desired emotional set point. We're not, we're not you know, slaves. We're not, you know, permanently tied to somebody we don't want to be tied to. We can change our minds, mm-hmm. which is a good and thing. And I love to watch how law of attraction <laughs> orchestrates people, places, and things to continually be the matching mechanism. Um, and so either she won't stay at this job or she'll move to another role within the company. Right. Or I won't stay at the job, or I'll move to another role in the company where I do match with people. Yeah, something because, has to shift. It can't stay in this yeah. awkward position right now. It has to shift somehow. And or and or if she like heard my message and started to present to me a side of her that was not all filled with anxiety and stress, mm-hmm. then we could continue to work together. Sure. I just, oh yeah. I, it just someone who's in constant stress is just not a match for me, which means it it won't stay. And, and, it won't stay. And she has the choice too. That's what's so beautiful about it. You have the choice about whether or not you're going to continue to work closely with her. She has the choice about whether she's going to stay in the stress point or decide to try to move out of it. And that mm-hmm. choice is always available to her at all times. Well, and yesterday I was talking about how I had a boss where. Um, Remember I was saying how I was um, being affected because he represented, like, my critical father? Right, right. And when I completely changed how I viewed him, and it actually healed the relationship I had with my father, even though my father, I wasn't doing it with my father personally, you know, um, I knew that he and I were not a match, and I wasn't doing that thing that would keep him to me because mm-hmm. I wasn't, like, needing to be the little girl victim who was being criticized right. by male authority. Right. So now that that was gone, I knew those same options would happen with him. And within six months' time of me knowing something's going to change where we're no longer, you know, having the boss-employee relationship, six months later things changed, and they reorganized our whole business unit and all of a sudden, he was moved to another another part of the company. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, of course not. But I knew but I knew something was going to happen. It had to. There was no way to avoid yeah. it. In fact, the same thing, it, it isn't just people who have, who, who you play a role with like that. It can be the actual people in the role. I mean, my wife had a situation with her father where... Up until like the last, I don't know how many years, and I won't try to tell the whole story because it's her story, but let's call it the last five to ten years of her life. Before that, it had been very much of a superior-inferior type relationship. It's very similar to what you were describing. Then my, my wife, at, at that point, she'd gone through um, a graduate school so she, she could become a psychotherapist. And when she came out of that and she was in in uh, practice for a while and, and had you know quite a bit of experience under her belt, she got to the point where she was able to make a similar kind of break with him on that. And the wonderful, amazing thing that happened is their relationship improved dramatically. Because that old dynamic was gone and because she had basically taken that old dynamic away, he had a choice. He could either move away from his daughter or he, he could get closer, and he chose to get closer. And the net mm. result was the last few years of his life, he had kind of a rough time health-wise with his life. But the last few years of his life, he and my wife had the best relationship they had her, her entire life. Wow. Yeah. 
So you never know how it's going to play out, but it, it can play out with anyone, including the people who actually are, you know, the focus of these kinds of roles we talk about, such as a father figure. Well, it can actually be your father. Yeah. You know, I'd never thought about it until we're having this conversation, but I wonder if we have natural set points with people in our life, like specific individuals versus sure. just us as a one person? Oh, of course. I mean, any relationship achieves some level of equilibrium, healthy or otherwise. So, yeah, mm-hmm. those can be described. Why can't those be described as set points? I don't see why not. Sure. See, now that would be a perfect time for someone to call in and give us their perspective on that. Oh, there you go, yeah. <laughs> explore this topic. <laughs> well, if there is someone who wants to call in, I'll just remind you, the phone number, 860-264-5432. We'll be on the air here for another 15 minutes or so, so there's still time to call in if you'd like. And if you're just deciding you want to wait and call in on a future show, well, that's okay, too. But we'd love it yeah. if you did call in today. <laughs> oh, be, and be, you know, before I kind, leave business these are the behind. Kinds of things I'd love to explore with other people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Before we leave this behind, too, I also want to remind our listeners, if you are hearing us say on PRN or if you're listening to us live on the website, LOAToday.net, that's great. We would still love you to subscribe to the podcast because that way you never miss any of the shows. Even if you can't listen in on a particular day, you can catch it later on because they're all recorded. They can all be played later on. And subscribing to the podcast is free. So... Ways to subscribe to the podcast. If you're on the website, that's the best way. Just look down below the player. There's a little button there you can click, and you can subscribe directly through your your iPhone or your Android or whatever you're using. Um, Also, you can subscribe by going, if you're on an iPhone, you can go to iTunes. We are in the iTunes store. So just go to iTunes and look up LOA Today, and we'll pop right up. You can also do it through your podcast software, too. It works either way. And on the Android side, you can subscribe through Google Play because we're in Google Play as well. So lots of different ways to subscribe, but do subscribe so you never miss any shows. Just had to get that one in there, Wendy. Oh, I'm glad you did. And I'm so glad you're handling all that part of our show because you're really brilliant at it. (laughs) Well, you gave me a good reminder there. Like, this would be a good time for somebody to call in and say, oh, yeah, I should be saying something about subscribing, too. (laughs) Well, and that's what's so exciting about how you switch platforms so that we could be on a platform that allows for call-ins during a live show. Oh, yes. Um, because I think at some point, you know, you and I will know all of each other's stories, and it's like it's much more exciting when other people bring in new content, new ideas, new new questions, new perspectives. Oh, yeah. You know? So I, I, I'm really I don't think we'll ever. I know we're going to have listeners very soon. Oh, we, I call it. Oh, I, I think it. so too. Yeah, and and I wouldn't want to say that we'll ever run out of content because I can tell you, after five <laughs> years of of doing podcasts, you never run out of content. There's always plenty to talk about. But you're right. You're so right. It's so much more fun when you have a caller calling in. We we've had a few callers um, in past shows where we were, we were testing using a different platform. And it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful to hear, first of all, to hear from the listener, and second of all, to hear their perspective on what they're going through. And, you know, they're, sometimes they're looking for advice. How do I keep my, my energy up and stuff like that? It just, it's wonderful to hear. So, yes, I'm looking forward to our first uh, call-ins here on the daily podcast. I think it's going to be great. And it's going to do something so, great for our emotional set points, too. Absolutely. I was just going to say, you know, in using the train analogy having to do with momentum, that's what we're doing now with with the shows. We are. We're building momentum. Yes. And not only is this show 
getting off the ground or leaving the station, so to speak. <laughs> you have a morning show that's about to leave the station. Yeah. You already have your weekend show that has already left the station. So it's like there's just so much momentum that's being built up. And, and, and when you build it up, it can only go someplace good. There, there's no yeah, way that can for, do anything but. I was going to say, for anybody listening to what we're talking about, I know we're talking about this particular radio show or this podcast, but this principle can be used in any part of your life because momentum is momentum no matter what subject it's on. It really is. And the more, you, Yeah, the more you talk about something with a positive spin, the more you get excited about it, the more you share it with other people, um, the more Google research you do on the topic, you know, the more um, recordings you listen to on Law of Attraction, you're building that, that momentum for that subject. And... Yeah. Of course, on the flip side, on the flip side, if you don't want to have any big changes happen and you want to stay in the the place that you're in and it's kind of a miserable place, but you're used to it and you like the safety and security of it, don't change what you're doing. Keep talking about (laughs) all those bad things that are going on. Keep focusing on them. And I promise you, it'll keep working because the law of attraction is like Abraham says, it's a great friend. It feeds back to you exactly what you're focusing on. So you're doing great. It's like it's an equal opportunity employer. It is. It has no, it has no moral compass on whether you're moving in a positive direction or a negative direction. It's very happy it to just, accommodate. Yeah, it, it's like the wind behind your back. It'll just keep you going in whatever direction you've set your sails. That's right. Yep. Now, personally, speaking for myself, I like the idea of sailing in a direction that makes me feel better. But that's just me. I'm kind of funny that way, you know. I just I, I just prefer <laughs> to feel better. It's a strange characteristic. I know it's not normal in our society, but that's the way I am. <laughs> well, it's normal in my household. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, okay. Well, see, that's why we're co-hosts yeah. here. That's why this, this relationship works so well. <laughs> well, okay, so now an image popped in my head, so I have to tell this because I think okay. it's funny. Um, so, uh, I don't know somewhere I think in 2009 and fortunately from a physical perspective I was fine Um, although it was ironic I was coming home from the chiropractor which now I turned around and went right back to my chiropractor (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um, so in the process of you know what happens with my car well it was totaled and you know you get X amount of dollars for the car and then you go buy a new one and so I bought this new car and I live in a two-story house And at the time, our garage was so filled that my car had to live on the driveway in the back of my house. Mm -hmm. And I loved looking out the window to see my new car. It made me smile. It made me happy. Well, I'd only had it a couple weeks, and I was driving to my sister's house. And by the time I got there, I noticed that my license plate on the front end was gone. Uh Uh-oh. And I vaguely remembered hitting some stick, log, whatever, that was like you couldn't have seen it until it was there. And I went, and my brother-in-law, who's a mechanic, said, you know, I think that thing must have just lodged in a way that it popped your license plate off. It could be. So we go driving back, and we're looking for this license plate. Couldn't find it, couldn't find it. I'm amazed you even tried. That that would be like trying to find a needle in a haystack, because who knows how many roads you were driving on. (laughs) Well, it was only one. It was one highway. Oh, it was only one? Oh, okay. Well, that's not so bad then. Yeah, and I thought I knew exactly where that that log thing was, but obviously, ah, you know, okay. I didn't. Yeah. So it was, you know, it it was what it was, and at the time I was feeling kind of sad and like, oh, it's my brand new car and now I don't have the license plate. Well, 
you know, the way I turn things around is like, I wonder what good can come from this. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, I have to order a new license plate. So I go online and, you know, I'm looking on the DMV site and lo and behold, it says something about personalized plates, which I know many other people have, but I never considered it. Uh And I know it costs extra to get one, Mm -hmm. but the idea really appealed to me. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder if I got one. What would it say? What would I want it to say? Mm -hmm. And this is the idea that came to me. I want my license plate to to be something that every day when I look out at my car that makes me really happy, it would really increase my happiness quotient. Makes sense. So here's, I'm going to say the license plate and, and see if you get it. It's okay. I-A-M-H-P-Y. Oh, yeah. I am happy. That's pretty obvious. That's good. I am happy. It's very direct, and very straightforward. Is, and what's so what has become so fun with this license plate is it not only gives me happiness, but everywhere I drive, people, when they notice it, they'll, like, give me thumbs up and smile at me, and they'll point to my license plate. And so I know I'm spreading happiness everywhere I go when I'm driving. That's very cool, because that means you're not so, only lifting yourself up, you're lifting other people up, too. Absolutely, and that's what I stand for. So I feel like, well, I figured out how to raise my emotional set point, and I can't necessarily, you know, convince every single person that passes me in a vehicle to do it, but if they're open to feeling a little bit better that day, then I know law of attraction will cause them to glance in the direction of my license plate and possibly put a smile on their face. (laughs) That's a good goal. I like that. That's very good. Of course, now there's going to be a run on DMVs all around the country, people applying for (laughs) IMHPY. Well, and you know, the the first year I had to renew that personalized plate, it it was $40 more a year. And at first I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of money. And then I went, are you kidding, Wendy? $40 (laughs) to bring yourself and other people happiness? That that was the best $40. That's a a good price. The best $40 you ever spent, no doubt about it. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And so every year when the when the renewal thing comes through, I very happily pay the extra money because I realize how much it's actually – I really think that's been a part of one of the little teeny things that I've done to elevate my set point. I, I think it's actually also important from a social point of view because people get so worked up, particularly politically these days, but in the news and everything else, there are so many different ways to get negative and to feel negative. And you listen to enough of it, you start to believe, well, everything is negative. We need to have stuff like that to reverse it for, for not just for ourselves, but for other people in society. So you're actually doing, you're providing a social service and it's a very important Well, one. I'm so pleased I can. It's kind of like, you know, people have evergreen products Mm-hmm. where the product is available 24-7 at any time of year. Right. Well, the joy of this is I don't have to do any labor. Yes, right. If it puts someone on, a smile on their face just because the license plate is already there and anybody who passes my car gets to see it. There it is, <laughs> yeah. It's just always there. It's always on. <laughs> That's really Absolutely. good stuff. So this emotional set point thing, it's, it's pretty important. Well, that's what we're discovering from today's conversation. It, it's not only something that's important, but it plays a major role not only in our happiness and success in life, but also what we draw to ourselves in life. And you've been, through your, your plate, you've been drawing a lot of great stuff, but we're also realizing it, it draws 
everything. It doesn't just draw the positives. It draws the negatives depending on what we're focusing on. So it, it becomes really incumbent upon us to be very careful about what it is we decide to focus on. Well, you know what? We all have an emotional set point. We just might not be aware of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, true. But, you know, I promise somebody who's unhappy most of the time, they may not know, oh, I have this vibrational thing that's going on that's, you know, drawing this stuff to me, but they have an emotional set point. And, you know, what I love about what I learned within the law of attraction is how we can be very deliberate about what our day feels like and how we go through life. If we go through where it's efforting and difficult or whether it goes through with just a natural ease and flow where people, places, and things just show up in our life in such a beautiful synchronicity, it's like we get to decide how that flows. And for some, including myself, it's not like I was born with this. It's not like I just automatically had things come easily. I learned what I learned, and then I started to practice what I learned. Yes, I agree. That, that's know, really the key thing right there. If, if we don't practice it, we don't get anywhere. But I also agree that it's something we have to learn. It's not like we all remembered before, you know, before we came into this world, we knew where we were trying to go. And then we get here and we forget about it because we were socialized otherwise. So we're all subject to that. And that means we all have to, all have to kind of relearn again what we, you know, previously knew, so to speak. But we can do it. That's the good news. The good news is, is we can do it. The tools are right there for us at all times, and that's that's pretty good news right there. And just have just learning, like if somebody's tuning in and they're listening and they're going, emotional set point, I've never heard this before. If they like what we're talking about, or even if they don't, if they just <laughs> become aware of this concept and then start paying attention in their life, what is the predominant emotional feeling that I feel most of the time? Yeah. It's a good uh, you know, self-awareness thing. Yeah, that awareness in itself can help any human being begin to make a shift. If they recognize, oh, I'm thinking these really nasty, rotten thoughts all the time, but I don't like how it feels, that's a great awareness. It's an, because now it's that a, person is at a, a place of choice. Yes, do I want to continue to think these thoughts or do I want to possibly think something else? It's about being conscious. If you're conscious of yeah. what's going on, if you're conscious about what your set point is, now you know that you can do something about it. Until you're conscious of it, you're kind of swimming without having a direction. So we've got Absolutely. about we've got about a minute and a half left. We want to make sure that we let people know we've done some of the business with um, you know where they can subscribe and so forth. We want you to subscribe to the podcast. But uh, Wendy, if they want to reach out to you and you know take advantage of your your private coaching, how do they do that? I suggest they go to my uh, website, which it's pretty easy to remember because it's my name, WendyDillard.com. That that's pretty easy. I, I think That's we can handle easy. that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've had other website names before, but, you know, people had to memorize it and go, am I going to remember that? And in the moment they think they're going to, and then when it comes down to trying to find me, they've forgotten it. So I'm yeah. like, it's my name, That's Wendy good. Dillard. Now, there, there's no better way to do it. So I, we're at the end of the time. Wendy, I, I, once again, I've enjoyed doing this so much. I hope you have too. Me too. All right. Then let's do it again tomorrow. What do you say? I think I'll show up tomorrow. Okay. All right. And we hope that you'll show up tomorrow as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.